Good morning. Hope all is well. What a song to sing. Faith can sing through days of sorrow. All is well. I mean, that line hits every time. It's one that relates to the way that life can be hard, and yet understanding a hard life under the sovereign grace and care and provision of God brings us song. We get to sing. And singing is antithetical to grumbling, which is what we're considering again this week and next week. (laughs) So let us do that together. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 16. We will consider the whole scope of the chapter, but for our purposes right now, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. That will give us a sense of what happens here as the people of God grumble yet again. Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 12. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness." to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that, I, that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight, You shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. God, as we come to your word, we pray that you would do a good work in us. Help us to rest and trust in you. Help us to have hearts that are transformed by your grace and for your glory, and that even now in the preaching of your word that that would occur. Be with us, we pray, and we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Nothing happening in your life right now 
Nothing happening in our church right now, and nothing happening in our culture and society right now. Nothing, not one thing is happening outside of the sovereign control and care of God. Not one single thing. Whether that is acknowledged by you or this church or our culture as a whole matters not. God is in control. God is over all. And God uses all of the various circumstances of our lives to bring about His purposes in our lives. So that means every challenge, every struggle... Every situation, they are not totally aimless accidents. They exist for a purpose. Broadly speaking, they exist to bring us into greater dependence on the God who satisfies to the fullest. Broadly speaking, All of the situations and circumstances and struggles and challenges, obstacles, pain, hurt, sorrow, sadness, the things in our lives exist to bring us to greater dependence on the God over it all and the God who satisfies to the full. My hope is that as we consider our passage today, that we would see that because Yahweh satisfies to the fullest, we would then live with daily dependence on Him. That we would see in Yahweh the one over all and then gracious in that being over all to satisfy to the fullest that it would then motivate our hearts to depend on Him daily. And so that's what we find when we come to this passage. In the providing for a grumbling people, we learn those two things. And that sort of serves as our outline. And we learn that God, that Yahweh, satisfies to the fullest. And we also learn from this experience that we... God's people are to depend on Him daily. Treat Him as if He is the one who satisfies to the fullest. Now let's consider that together this morning. First is this, Yahweh satisfies to the fullest. So as we read in Exodus 16, what we find here in our passage is that the grumbling intensifies The grumbling intensifies from the previous chapter what we considered last week. It's worse. The grumbling has worsened. But as we will read through this and consider this, is that not only does the grumbling intensify, but the grace of God intensifies. So as the people are grumbling, God's grace is even more overwhelmingly amazing. That's good news. That's also not a green light to grumble more, (laughs) so you get more grace. 
But anyway, the grumbling gets worse after Elam. Look at verses 2 and 3. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So it's intensifying from last week. Last week they just simply grumbled against Moses. This week the whole congregation, the whole people of God, great emphasis placed on that, are grumbling not just against Moses, but now against Moses and Aaron. It's expanding. It's, it's getting more severe. And it's getting more exaggerated in the nature of its grumbling, because that's what grumbling do. Grumbling gets all the more exaggerated. Who in here, honest, right now, before God and man as witnesses, hasn't had a moment in their life in which they were grumbling and they've exaggerated all of the reasons why they were grumbling? Like I said last week, all the lights are red. Every one of them are red. No, not all of the lights were red. Two were red and you were annoyed, Sean. But we do that, don't we? When we start grumbling and we turn in on ourselves, we just exaggerate it. And we also misspeak. What did they say? They said they had all these meat pots and bread to the full while they were in oppressive slavery in Egypt. They're not remembering correctly. They're exaggerating the extent of their grumbling and their misremembering <laughs> what their condition was really like. What grumbling does. Now keep this in mind. We said last week, rum- grumbling isn't a mild complaint like red lights. Grumbling was a faithless rebellion against God, saying God is either not in control or not caring enough to provide. That's what grumbling is. So let's not be too casual with it. Let's not try to domesticate grumbling because it's cancerous. It's awful. It's poison in our hearts. It exaggerates the situation. It misremembers and it's rebellion against God as if he can't or won't provide what he says he would do. So as we see this intensify in our chapter, I think what is even more remarkable is that the grace of God intensifies exponentially. It intensifies more than their grumbling does. That's amazing. Two particular verses to draw your attention to. First is verse 4 of Exodus chapter 16. Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. That's crazy. It's amazing. Verse 12. I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat. Meat they didn't have to go find and gather and prepare meat that was brought to them. You shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. 
The grace of Yahweh is even more expansive than their grumbling. God's grace for sinners should always, every single time, astonish us. We should never get sort of a ho-hum attitude about the grace of God to people like us. I never want to be casual with grumbling, but I also don't want to be casual or flippant with God's grace for me, a sinner, the worst one that I know. And here His grace is so overwhelming. He's raining down bread from heaven. He's providing them quail for over a million people, meat at night, and bread for their full, to the full, it says. They, they will eat and shall be filled. Now, our, our English translation doesn't quite bring out some of the connotations here. The you shall be filled, the emphasis that you see in this chapter on eating to the full or being filled is, is really a word that means to be satisfied. To be satisfied. And satisfied is, is just more, it's more than just being filled. It's just more than having enough food in your stomach. To be satisfied carries with it a little bit more of an experience. Now, have you ever, have you ever gotten full from downing a box of golden grams at 10.30 p.m.? Okay, maybe it's Reese's Puffs, or it's Honey Nut Cheerios because, you know, cholesterol. But anyway, you down the whole box, and you're full, but that's not a good fill, is it? It's not a good fill physically, emotionally, spiritually, existentially. It's not a good feel. You regret it. I mean, yes, it's delicious in a moment, and then it feels like, your entire body is bloated. All right. Maybe that was just me. Have you ever been filled and satisfied by a great meal? I mean, you know the difference here, right? It comes with an experiential joy because... There's a flavor and an aroma and an occasion and a people and a memory that are all wrapped up in that great meal. God satisfies His people. Not with a box of lucky charms. He satisfies His people with the sustenance of His grace in meat and in bread. Yes, the Israelites were filled, but more than that, they were satisfied to the fullest by Yahweh. After seeing their grumbling worsen. Is that not amazing? Is that not staggering? Does that not compel our hearts right now to just simply worship God for such amazing grace? Well, God's intention in satisfying to the fullest 
is that he would bring transformation into the hearts and lives of his people. He's doing that in the Old Testament. He's doing that in the New Testament. He's doing that in the course of human history. And guess what? He's doing that in your life right now. His intention is to satisfy you to the fullest. And in so doing, transform your heart, my heart, into something amazingly new. And that, that would be first that you and I, that we would be humble. God's intention in satisfying us in, in, in all circumstances is so that you and I would be a humble people to see God as the giver of all grace who supplies what we need to the fullest puts our hearts into a humble posture. The moment you realize you don't deserve this, that you are so quick to grumble, and yet God is so overwhelming with His grace, places us in this humble posture. I don't deserve this. God, you so blow my mind and my heart away. Grumbling is leveraging our pride to get what it wants. God satisfying us transform our hearts to be humble. Secondly, we find that God's intention in satisfying us to the fullest is that we would be happy. I feel very comfortable to say that God's intention in the midst of sorrows and struggles and difficulty in the brokenness of this life and this world between grace and glory is that we would still experience the joy and happiness of being satisfied by God. He's not a miser. To see God give good and the fullness of it, that He isn't miserly with His grace, that He lavishes us with it, is to break off the calluses of our heart, that it would be flooded with joy and happiness, that we would be humble and happy people. Grumbling, grumbling is capitalizing on anxiety, or excuse me, anger in our hearts. Anger because we're not in control. Anger because things aren't going the way we perceive them to be. Anger because we have resentment and bitterness and, and, and we wanted things to go differently. Whereas when we see God satisfy our hearts, satisfy us to the fullest, He is intending not our anger, but our happiness and joy. Thirdly, God's intention in satisfying to the fullest is that not only that we should be a humble people, a happy people, but that we would then be a hopeful people. A hopeful people. To see that no circumstance can circumvent or short-circuit what God provides. That there isn't a circumstance in your life, in our church, in our society that can block or prevent or be a firewall against God's overwhelming grace in our lives. In fact, it's in those very circumstances and very uh, moments in our lives that God is showering us with our grace so that we would indeed be satisfied in Him. And in that satisfaction comes this great wonderful experience called 
hope. Hope. And the Bible tells us hope does not disappoint. Because it's not fixed on changed circumstances. It's fixed on a sovereign and gracious God. There in lies your hope. Our grumbling wants us to live in our anxiety. Now, I know anxiety is a thing that can be um, triggered in a variety of ways, and some of those are incredibly challenging and hard. I know that. And I'm not being flippant about anxiety. It is a real and gray beast of a struggle. But there is an aspect of our anxiety that is fueled off of our grumbling. God's intentions in satisfying us to the full is that we would have hope. Grumbling wants to perpetuate anxiety. And so as we consider these things and we see how God is at work through all circumstances, showing how he is satisfying to the full, it moves our hearts to be humble, happy, and hopeful so that our lives would ultimately be holy. Holy. God is in business of transforming his people so they would reflect more and more of his character in their lives to his glory and to the good of others. To see that God satisfies our hearts to the fullest in order to transform our lives to be holy, to be set apart for him, to be living for his glory, does wonders in our hearts. If grumbling is active rebellion against God, a heart, a life that is growing and being satisfied by God will grow in being more holy, set apart, living for his glory. That's his intentions. That's what he's doing in this wilderness. That's what he's doing in our wilderness. So let's not toss aside, dismiss the circumstances of our lives as if God couldn't use them to bring about humble, happy, hopeful, holy people. And perhaps that's exactly his intention for us right now. Now, we see that God satisfies to the fullest. They were not without anything. And he was working in them so that he would bring them to a daily dependence upon him. And that's our second point. That as we see the nature of God satisfying to the fullest, grace in the lives of God's people, that then it would bring God's people to the place of daily dependence, that we are to depend on him daily. Now, just like last week, we have a test, another failed one, and yet we see more grace. So the people of God were to trust Yahweh and follow his ways. Exodus 16 verse 20 lays that out for us. They were to, to do what God told them to do and no more. And, and so some people wanted to, to gather in more than what God told them to gather in. And this is what happened when they didn't listen. Verse 20, but they did not listen to Moses. 
Some left part of it, part of the bread, till the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. They failed to follow God's instructions. So just gather what you need for that day. Don't go hoarding it like toilet paper back in March. That was a very sinful thing. It was unbiblical to go hoarding the toilet paper. But in Exodus, we find that it turned against them to not follow and trust God. To have that element of faith that I'm just going to trust God. This is what he says, so I'm going to do it. It turned on them and it stank. That's one of those words. <laughs> it sounds right <laughs> for what it means, doesn't it? It just sounds like stank. That's exactly what I would feel if something was stinky. <laughs> And it, it's, it turned on them immediately. Their failure to follow Yahweh's ways reveals their failure to trust him. Doubting God, going our own way is a rotten stink. And it leads to more rotten stink in our hearts. And the point of this test is to bring the people of God the fresh awareness of their daily need of him. And, and if you read through the rest of this chapter on your own, you'll find that as they gathered what they needed for that day, whether they gathered a lot because that's what they needed or a little because that's what they needed, they never were without. When they were trusting, they saw that they had enough. How does this then hit our hearts right now? As we think about this, as we see the circumstances of our lives, or our church, or our culture and society, how does that hit us right now? Are we quick to grumble? Are we quick to give in to our pride and our anger and our anxiety? Are we quick to those things? Or are we quick to see, God, how would you use these things right now in our lives for our good and your glory, so that other people may come to rest in you and, and, and see the anger that grips their heart or the anxiety that grips their heart sort of melt under your grace as you do a good work in them, bringing humble, happy, hopeful, holy lives. How would this hit us now? Well, part of this is that we have to understand that Exodus is in the scriptures, it's in the whole of scripture. And as such, it's pointing us forward to the even greater expression of God satisfying us to the fullest. And perhaps as you've read through this, your mind gone had gone to some of those places in the New Testament that are unmistakably clear about how they are fulfilling the very moment that we're considering. And you're not going to be able to find that fulfilling moment apart from finding it in Christ, in Christ alone. It's staggering how much of Christ's life is so wrapped up and fulfilling of what God promised long and long ago. For example, maybe this is the one that jumped out at you right away 
Jesus is the manna. Jesus is the bread. Jesus is the ultimate satisfaction to the fullest. And Jesus said it as such in his own words in John chapter 6. John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You will be satisfied to the fullest. He was asked about signs that show he was sent down from heaven. The crowd around him, a great crowd, wanted to know, are you really sent down from heaven? He said, yeah, I'm actually the bread sent down from heaven that you so hold on to in your tradition. I'm that, but to the full. He is the ultimate manna, the ultimate bread, the ultimate satisfaction to the fullest of the human heart. All of God's purposes in life are to drive us to Christ, where we find in Him the ultimate, full, final, forever means for a humble, happy, hopeful, holy life. So much so that you will not find a humble, happy, hopeful, holy life outside of knowing it in Christ. How does this hit our hearts now? Well, the circumstances in your life, in our church, in our society and culture are to drive you to Jesus, to drive you to Christ, to see in Christ the fullness of God's grace lavished on you, so full that it lasts forever. If you are keeping Christ on the periphery of your heart, of your mind, of your life, then that humble, happy, hopeful, holy living will always seem out of reach. It will always seem distant. It will always seem foggy or obscured because your only means for it, you're keeping on the outside of your reach. At the center of God's redemptive purposes for the entire cosmos and all of time and all of space and everything and everywhere always is found and wrapped up in and centralized in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity who took on our humanity, who lived a life that we couldn't live, who died a death that we deserve, who overcame an enemy we could never defeat, who brings about a kingdom we could never secure, and does so in such a way that it lasts for all eternity. That king, that Jesus, is at the center of your humble, happy, hopeful, holy life, and nothing else. So whatever might be going on in you and around you, don't be too quick to be bitter about those circumstances. Because maybe God's using those circumstances to drive you to Jesus. Afresh, anew, maybe for the first time. So that you find in Him one who is so overwhelmingly grace and mercy filled you have salvation for your soul and you have transformation in your life and that even though your circumstances and challenges and 
what not may never change. You do. You change. You go from old to new, dead to alive, orphan to son or daughter of the King Most High. You change because of God's grace. And your perspective on the things in and around your life changes. Instead of anger and anxiety, this is just this steady hope and happiness. Found in Christ, y'all. Nowhere else. How does that hit our hearts? It hits our hearts to drive us to Jesus. And if that's not enough, if Jesus is saying, I'm the manna, I'm the ultimate manna, we see more in the New Testament. We see more. We see it in two very important moments. How we need Jesus daily. Two significant moments. One is in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Matthew chapter 4 is when Jesus was brought out into the wilderness to be tempted. Huh. Imagine that. Where did we, where did we read that? Oh, I don't know, maybe about 20 minutes, 20 minutes ago when we were reading about that, about the people of God in Exodus. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Daily dependence. Jesus is modeling that for us in our place. Daily dependence. The second moment that's quite significant is when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he, Jesus, said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves, for, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Our means for daily satisfied to the fullest life is found in daily dependence on God as modeled and taught by Christ himself. So if we see that Jesus is at the center of this and we find Jesus there at the center, trusting in God's word and praying in this God-focused, centered way, then therefore you and I We have the template. We have the means. It's found in Christ. And we cannot do this without Him. So, do we trust each day as if we cannot do this without Him? Your fight against temptation to sin in your heart will be well equipped with Christ-centered dependence and clinging to His Word pleading in your heart in prayer for God's kingdom to come in and through your life, daily dependence. We cannot do this without Jesus. So let us go about trusting as if we cannot do this without Jesus. What ways can that happen right now? Well, 
when faced with circumstances outside of our control, which is no one in here really likes to be in, (laughs) or when faced with circumstances beyond our ability to affect, our grumbling can show up. It can show up as anger. We're mad that we're not in control or that we cannot change the situation. It shows up in apathy. We're calloused and cynical in the face of challenging circumstances. So we are inactive in our apathy. And it can show up as anxiety. That is, our worrying and fretting is microwaved into a frenzy. All three of these can debilitate us for different reasons. All three reveal a heart that is not resting in God's ways and trusting His grace. And all three, anger, apathy, and anxiety, are responding opposite to God's design for the very circumstances that we're angry about, that we're apathetic about, or that we're anxious about. It's the opposite of God's purposes in that. In those purposes, he wants us to have a a drivenness to him and daily dependence where we find ultimate satisfaction to the fullest. And instead of anger, apathy, and anxiety, God's purposes is that we would be Humble, happy, and hopeful. Where we used to live before we moved here last summer had terrible air quality and visibility. Two-thirds of the town we lived in was surrounded by mountains that you never saw. You only saw the outline of them. Because of the air, because of the smog, it was awful. The six to eight days of clear skies a year that we were allowed (laughs) were stark reminders of these mountains that all of a sudden felt right there. You would pull out of our neighborhood and you would just be taken aback. Oh my goodness, there are mountains, I forgot. And they were there the whole time. And you forgot because of the smog. If it seems like God isn't there right now, whatever circumstance or challenge or situation that you are facing, perhaps, again, hear my words carefully, nuanced, perhaps, The smog of anger, the smog of anxiety, the smog of apathy, the smog of grumbling has glossed over and glazed your view. Friends, he's there. He's right there. God is has provided satisfaction to the fullest in Jesus Christ for any and all circumstances this side of glory. 
May this overwhelming, exponential grace of God, of His provision, move your heart to depend on Him daily. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would do that work in us because we are desperate for it. And I pray that you would move our hearts away from anger. You would move our hearts away from apathy. That you would move our hearts away from anxiety over things that are going on in us or around us. That we would have hearts fortified by what you have provided for us in Christ. How you have paid a penalty we could never pay. How you have broken a power we could never break. And how one great and glorious day you will remove the presence of a stain we can never wash away on our own. May that God do a humbling, joy-giving, hope-producing, transforming work in us now. May we see you as the one who provides. May we rest and rejoice in that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Just a quick announcement about the rest of our day. This evening at 5 p.m. is our annual meeting. A good number of you have signed up, which is awesome. Um, For those who are interested in coming, you feel maybe like, maybe I shouldn't because I'm not a member, please come. Uh, You have like 30 minutes to sign up. You can do that on your phone. Um, And if not, just shoot me an email or what have you. We have a few spots open still. Uh, So come, um, if you can, uh, just to help with the check-in process, try to come a little bit early so that we can get all ourselves situated and checked in. Um, And we will hopefully see you again then at 5 p.m. All right, please stand for our benediction from 2 Corinthians May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen and amen.